back to Truth and Liberty. Thank you for joining our daily live call-in broadcast where trusted leaders bring biblical insights to the issues and you can call in and get your questions answered in real time. According to the Bible, it's the truth you know that sets you free. So call in today to get answers, information, and resources to help you stand for truth and effect godly change in our nation and the world. And now here's your host, Richard Harris. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Truth and Liberty live call-in show. I'm Richard Harris, and I'll be your host today. Uh, I've got a really special guest on the program today, Mr. Frank Gaffney. I'm going to introduce him in just a second. Before we get to that, though, I wanted to uh, uh, share some information with our viewers about what's coming up here at Andrew Womack Ministries. Uh, in November, November 2nd through the 4th, we're going to have the annual Women Arise Conference. So, uh, ladies, you want to turn out for this because it's going to be awesome. Carrie Pickett, Audrey Mack, and Elizabeth Murin are the featured speakers. And if you haven't heard uh, these ladies speak before, I promise you, you will be blessed. I always say Audrey is one of my favorite ministers anywhere. She's just fantastic and a great friend. And uh, of course, Carrie and Elizabeth are awesome too. So don't miss out on that. Register today at awmi.net. And also, if you live in the Atlanta area, Andrew's going to be holding a Gospel Truth Conference there November 9th through the 11th. And he'll be ministering with uh, his good friend, Greg Fritz. So I tell you, you're going to get some great Bible teaching and edifying words there. Sign up today at awmi.net. That's going to be again November 9th through the 11th at the Gas South Convention Center in the Atlanta area. All right, guys. Well, our guest today is Frank Gaffney. Frank is the founder and executive chairman of the Center for Security Policy in Washington, D.C. And Frank has been involved in uh, foreign affairs and, and national security matters, it looks like his entire adult life. Uh, he's the host of Secure Freedom Radio, a nationally uh, syndicated radio program heard weeknights throughout the country, and uh, also the author or associate author of Sharia, The Threat to America, and the publisher of over a dozen books. He served in the Reagan administration uh, as Assistant Secretary of Defense for International Security Policy and also as the Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Nuclear Forces and Arms Control. And I could go on and on and on about his bio here. It really truly is quite impressive. And uh, Frank, we are very honored and excited to have you on the program today. Thank you for joining us. Richard, it's a privilege to be with you. Uh, one small correction. The radio program is actually the audio track of uh, a TV program, both of which are called Securing America, the TV oh. program, Real America's Voice. And uh, the audio track reads uh, on uh, the American Family Network. We'd be delighted to have your guests, your uh, audience listening in. Okay. So, so tune in, folks, to the American Family Network. Go there and uh, you can find uh, uh, Frank's program there. Um, well, uh, Frank, it's just amazing uh, to have you on at this point uh, as we are, uh, everyone is still, I think, reeling a little bit from the developments over the last four or five days with the, uh, it really was an invasion of Israel by Hamas-linked terrorists, and now they are in a state of full-on war. And so I would love to just sort of uh, walk through this with you for our viewers' sake and uh, get some analysis and, and insights uh, as to what has happened here and where is this thing headed. First, um, 
I'd like to begin with just a, a casualty update. Are you familiar with, with the number of casualties currently amongst Israelis and then amongst Hamas? I've, I've heard some, uh, the, the numbers are continuing to rise, but where are we at this point in terms of the number of people killed and wounded? I don't have much confidence in any of the numbers, to be honest with you. The last I heard, I think, uh, out of Israel was about 1,200, um, mm -hmm. but it changes by the day. Um, and it's anybody's guess, uh, the numbers that have been uh, uh, killed or uh, otherwise uh, lost in uh, the other parts of this, uh, this war now, um, notably inside Gaza. But uh, the numbers are increasing, that's for sure, and will almost certainly do so as a result of uh, the war uh, ratcheting up. And probably uh, it appears uh, on two other fronts, as well as Gaza, uh, on Israel's northern border um, in Lebanon and uh, in Syria, you now have uh, active hostilities taking place. I think they're still at a at a fairly um, modest level, but unfortunately, there's a great potential that they will intensify. So, I'd like for our viewers to kind of get a little bit of. Um uh, context for those casualty numbers. Uh, Israel, of course, by comparison, is a pretty small country, both geographically and population-wise. I think their current population is what, somewhere around 8 million. And, and if you compare that, the 1,200 or 1,300 to their population in the same ratio applied in the United States, it would be as if we lost 30,000 or so people in a day is what I've heard. I didn't do the math myself. That would take probably about 10 minutes. <laughs> but uh, but uh, this is a pretty big deal for Israel um, and hard to imagine, uh, I think, from our, our perspective here, what that would have been like to be invaded like that. And the other thing I wanted to ask your comment on as we're just kind of getting started here on this discussion is really the sheer barbarity of the, uh, the things that were done by these invading terrorists. Um, can you comment on that and, and shed any light on it? I think Americans are just sort of aghast at it and trying to understand how could human beings do this to one another. Can you, can you shed any light on that, Frank? Uh, I can try. The thing that is really staggering is that these uh, barbarians, as you put it, believe that uh, their behavior is divinely prescribed. And they're right, according to uh, their Islamic doctrine known as Sharia. Uh, the kind of um, mayhem, the rapes, the torture, the maiming, and other disfiguring, as well as outright beheading and other kinds of murder is all described as uh, what they, as faithful Muslims, uh, are not entitled to do alone, but expected to do to infidels and unbelievers. And that's the really shocking thing. Now, fortunately, uh, most Muslims, certainly in our country, don't subscribe to this kind of behavior. Uh, but it's not somehow evidence of just people uh, exhibiting the, the most appalling 
inhumanity that one can conceive of. What's really frightening is they think that Allah has ordered them to do it and that they're in his service in performing such behavior. And uh, unfortunately, again, don't take my word for it, but uh, the authorities of Islam say that is the case. And that's a chilling thought, isn't it? Yeah, it, it certainly is. And um, <clears throat> I remember, Frank, I'm sure you do too, of course, uh, it wasn't an isolated thing, but a after the 9-11 tax here in the United States, the um, political establishment and the media establishment told Americans that, no, 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 uh, uh, Muslims worship the same God we do, and it really is just a religion of peace. These are just aberrations. These are the extremists, but uh, uh, Islam is a religion of peace. Americans uh, are ignorant, though, of the history of Islam and that uh, the and what really the Quran teaches: uh, beheadings and raping and pillaging along these fashions and, and beheading. It goes all the way back to the beginning, doesn't it, for that religion? It does. The perfect man in Islamic uh, doctrine is Muhammad, and Muhammad engaged in all of that kind of behavior personally, as well as uh, telling his followers that that was uh, what he was being directed to do by Allah. And, and you know, the interesting thing about this uh, is there's a trajectory here to Muhammad's life. And there was a period when he was living as a relatively impoverished individual without power or, or following in Mecca. And during that period, what he was being uh, divinely told to do, what was being revealed to him, uh, was to be peaceable towards uh, people of the book, especially Christians and, and Jews. Um, he ultimately had to flee Mecca and made his way to Medina. And in Medina, he married a wealthy widow and he became uh, a powerful figure, a warlord, in fact, in part by telling his followers, who became more and more numerous, that if they joined him and adhered to what he was then being told was the prescribed way of uh, Allah, they could do all of these horrible things uh, to, you know, these uh, booty-laden uh, caravans in the desert, for example. And they did. And they became an unbelievably powerful army over time and conquered uh, much of the known world with these sorts of uh, tactics uh, very much baked into uh, their warfare. and. Uh, I, I'm so sorry to say this, but I was among those who tried to warn uh, the Bush administration after 9-11 that when they were not only being told that Islam is a religion of peace and that um, jihad means personal struggle, not holy war, and that um, the, uh, the people who engage in violent forms of jihad are extremists and have no connection actually to the faith. All of that was a lie. 
this was what the Muslim Brotherhood was encouraging them to believe. And frankly, from that day to this, that lie continues to confuse our government and military and intelligence professionals and a great many other Americans about the nature of the enemy we're facing and the challenge that it represents. And again, I, I want to hasten to add, there are a lot of Muslims who don't believe that they must engage in violent jihad to worship uh, in accordance with their faith. Um, the term for such people according to, again, the authorities of the faith at places like Al-Azhar University, is that they're apostates. They themselves are unbelievers, and there is a penalty for being uh, a non-adherent Muslim, and that is capital punishment. Mm. So this is, this is a grim picture, and I, I hate to say it, but if we're not clear about it, I fear there's a very high probability we are going to face Gaza-like violence perpetrated against us by people who do subscribe to uh, what I think of as Sharia supremacism. Well, it was it was only a few years ago when the um, ISIS had control of large swaths of the Middle East there, and uh, and we had news reports then of atrocities, uh, you know, mass beheadings and. Um, you know, uh, making sex slaves and, and all these other kinds of things coming out of there. And, of course, the media here in the United States didn't really give those things a lot of coverage. Um, uh, but how many times will stuff like this have to happen before we wake up and realize who these um, radical Islamists really are? Well, th there's a... There's two points that I, I would like to follow up on. One, let me just defer for a moment uh, that partly I think what you've just described fits a pattern of how the media and, well, frankly, most policymakers and a lot of other Americans, even, you know, Christian church-going believers, fail to recognize and respond appropriately to the kind of persecution that ISIS notoriously meted out, particularly to Christians. Uh, the beheading of uh, a dozen or so individuals on the beach in Libya, as I recall, being a prime example. But the bigger problem is this. Um, we were told when we did get media attention to all of this that, again, these are, these are extremists. These are, you know, violent uh, people who have uh, uh, if any connection at all to Islam, the most remote and and not in a, uh, a, a in, you know legitimate uh, relationship with Islam, unless and until we understand that's not true, we will find ourselves continuously at the receiving end of the jihad, and it isn't about personal struggle. It is about conquest and holy war and forced submission and mass murder. And, and here's, a, here's another example, if I may, just in the space of the past month or so. We've had jihadis from Azerbaijan with the help of Turks engaging in another Armenian genocide, driving 120,000 uh, Armenian Christians from an area that was the first Christian nation in the world, by the way, 
out of their ancient homeland and into neighboring Armenia, which Recep Tayyip Erdogan, the president of Turkey, who aspires to recreate the caliphate with himself as the caliph, the Ottoman Empire specifically, seeks to pick up where the Ottoman Empire left off in trying to annihilate the Christians of Armenia. And he has actually said in the wake of uh, this area, Nagorno-Karabakh being emptied, that Armenia is next. So this, this Christian persecution, and I, I won't dwell on this for the moment unless you care to, but it's mm. so important that we understand. And not all of it is being inflicted on by Sharia supremacists, but a great percentage of it is. And as a result, there is, by some estimates, 350 million of us who are being persecuted, heavily persecuted around the world. That's that's more than the number of men, women, and children in the entire United States of America, by the way. Yeah, we could talk about uh, Islamic persecution of Christians uh, for the entire broadcast, for sure. One of the yeah. things that ISIS did a few years ago is they uh, they almost eliminated, tell me if I'm wrong on this or exaggerating, but they almost eliminated the, the, the presence of Christians in Iraq. Um, and the, these are churches and, and Christian families and lines that have been in Iraq for almost 2,000 years, uh, some of these churches and, and family groups, and, and they were had to flee for their lives. Um, so yeah, this is extremely serious, but just if we, if we could go back to Israel for a second, um, Israel has declared all-out war on Hamas, uh, saying that they are they are going to exterminate uh, basically um, all terrorists. They're going to find them and kill them. And I think even Netanyahu said they would reduce Gaza to rubble. Um, they're calling up reservists from literally all over the world. So uh, Jewish people, even in the United States, that have been listed in the past in uh, the IDF or whatever are being summoned. They're, they're amassing quite a large army. Uh, 600,000 is what I've heard. I don't know if those numbers are correct. And, and, and the first question, I mean, I think this goes without saying, but is Israel's response justified? Is it called for? Is this a proportional response? Um, people right now, um, well, let me just leave that question open and, and allow you to comment that, on that. I, I, I think I know the answer, but can you share your views on that? Yeah, my response is it's long overdue. And this isn't an issue of proportionality. This is an issue of what will take care of the problem. Mm. And unfortunately, anything short of the complete and utter destruction of the jihadists and some secular terrorists uh, in the Palestinian community of Gaza um, will ensure that it simply comes back again because that's what they do. Mm -hmm. So uh, is Israel going to be able to accomplish this? Uh, how fast will they accomplish this? At what cost will they accomplish this? Um, are all open questions at the moment. Uh, I think you can bet that the moment they start taking this sort of uh, prophylactic action, if I can call it that, uh, the international community, which at the moment is professing great sympathy for what's happened to the people of Israel uh, and support for their right of self-defense, will be castigating them for doing what they have to do. 
I hope it will not deter them. I hope, in fact, that our government will support them in doing what needs to be done here. Uh, not least because, frankly, Israel's enemies are our enemies. Um, whether it's, uh, you know, the Chinese Communist Party, who I think are pulling the strings and engineering this, or whether it's the Iranians who unmistakably have aided and abetted and uh, I think probably most immediately uh, given tactical instruction as to what to do uh, in this invasion, um, or whether it's the Hamas's or the Hezbollah's or the Palestinian Islamic Jihad's or, or other of these groups, we're dealing with people who will not be deterred. They will not be talked out of doing what they're trying to do. They will not be um, persuaded that uh, if they just leave us alone, um, they will have peace. Um, that's not their belief. And uh, I, I've merged in um, the communists of China into that mix. They don't subscribe to uh, the teachings of Muhammad and uh, Allah, to be sure. In fact, they're waged in genocide themselves against Muslims in uh, East Turkestan. But they're making common cause with uh, enemies of the West who do so in the name of Islam. Uh, and as a result, you have kind of what I call this red-green alliance uh, that is uh, surely creating a, a double threat to us here in the United States, uh, to Europe and other parts of the world, as well as Israel. Well, that's very sobering for sure. And I, um, I just want to remind our viewers today that uh, we're, uh, this is Truth and Liberty Live call-in show, and my guest today is Frank Gaffney, a world-renowned security expert, a national security expert, author, um, and uh, we're just honored to have him today. We're talking about what's happening in, this, in the nation of Israel. And if you have questions about this subject or really any Bible question, uh, feel free, please, to call in. We'd love to hear from you today. Our number is 719-619-2341. Uh, the phone lines are open. Uh, Frank, I, uh, you, you kind of anticipated sort of the next direction that I, I was going to go with this. But if when, when Israel's tanks and uh, large divisions begin to cross the border into Gaza, or the, you know, the next time we see a, a, an Israeli missile level a building that houses terrorists and the Muslims haul out uh, dead children that were put there as shields or whatever, and they begin to claim you know, brutality on Israel's part, how long will it be after that when the international community begins to, like you said, cry for peace? Uh, you know, the, this current outcry, how long uh, against the Muslims and in favor of Israel, is that going to expire pretty quickly, do you think? I think it's already begun to. Uh, you've started seeing people prominently on the left, I think it's fair to say, um, arguing that, uh, you know, there must be an immediate truce. Uh, the the folks in Hamas have uh, now said they're open to a truce, yeah. which is, uh, it, you know, standard operating procedure. Uh, they call it hudna. And um, one of the things that has been worrying to me, as we've heard uh, in the absence of this kind of horror, especially, um, the argument made that, um, Israel must negotiate with, must make concessions to, must give up territory uh, to, in particular, um, 
secure some kind of peace agreement with uh, people who, first of all, have nothing but contempt for such agreements, and who have, again, going back to Muhammad's day, the tradition of the so-called hudna. Mm. Uh, and it's not a peace, though they're sometimes uh, used interchangeably in Arabic. It's a pause. And according to the perfect example of the perfect man, Muhammad, the pause is to be used to regroup, to rebuild your strength, and then to resume hostilities when you are better prepared to prevail in them. So Israel, I think, has finally gotten clarity on the basis of this horror that's been inflicted upon them, that there can be no more negotiations with Hamas and, and people like it, for that matter. They must be destroyed. They must mm -hmm. be rooted out, root and branch, from, in particular, um, this uh, deeply you know, impoverished and uh, overcrowded and uh, subhuman uh, environment that is Gaza. And we're told by those who are sympathetic to the Palestinians that um, for all those reasons, they have just cause to try to destroy Israel. Um, but in point of fact, I think if they wished simply to devote their energies to improving their condition, uh, to giving people freedom, for example, but also um, work and opportunities, they'd have a ready and willing partner in Israel. But as has been pointed out by others, um, if Israel actually were to lay down its arms, um, there would not be peace. No. There would be the genocide of the Jewish people. If the Palestinians would lay down their arms, uh, there would be peace. And I think this uh, very different situation. But that's not going in prospect as long as Hamas is running things, that's for sure. So uh, how just, I mean, conceptually, yes, we're going to eradicate the terrorists. We're going to kill all the terrorists and get rid of Hamas. How are they going to do that unless they permanently occupy Gaza and the Golan Heights and even the, the, the Palestinian territory that, you know, uh, now where the, the, the Palestinian um, authority uh, has rule. I mean, how, how could they do this unless they actually go in there and rule these areas, occupy them permanently? Well, I think Israel has formally annexed the Golan Heights. I don't think they have any intention of uh, surrendering that, and for good reason, by the yeah. way. Um, it's a very good question about uh, what you do in Gaza. I mean, short of uh, literally killing everybody, uh, I think there's a danger that unless you are physically present and controlling it day in and day out, occupying it, as the term goes, um, you're going to find uh, new manifestations of this jihadist uh, attitude uh, springing forth. Um, I think the first order of business is to uh, destroy those who are engaged in this kind of jihadist activity now and try to begin a process of inculcating in the people of uh, the Gaza Strip that uh, they don't have to follow uh, those who have led them down that path. 
uh, that there is an opportunity for them to have a better and uh, far more prosperous and humane and free existence than what Hamas has imposed upon them. Mm-hmm. But uh, whether they'll be willing to do that uh, very much remains to be seen. And uh, at what cost Israel is going to have to try to maintain uh, control of that situation similarly remains to be seen. Well, folks, you're watching uh, Truth and Liberty Live call show. My special guest today is Frank Gaffney, a national security expert, author, and uh, commentator. And uh, if you have questions uh, for us today on the program about uh, what's happening in the news with Israel, the Middle East, or any national security issue, or Bible questions, please feel free to call in. The number is 719-619-2341. We'd love to hear from you. We're up against a break here, and we're going to pause for about 90 seconds to share some information, and then we will be right back. With practical government, you have experts in the fields that are sharing their perspective, wisdom and experience. It's not available anywhere else in the world. We're going to teach a Christian heritage of our American government. They're gonna learn about the founding fathers. We're teaching the constitution, how government operates, practical skills and field study. No matter where you're coming from, the world needs you. Whatever God's calling you to do, you're able to do it. To learn more, visit practicalgovernmentschool.com. At Truth and Liberty Coalition, we work to unify, educate, and mobilize the body of Christ to change nations. That's why I want to encourage you to go to our website at truthandliberty.net and subscribe so that you can begin receiving regular updates uh, about our show, news items, action alerts, blog posts, and much, much more. Uh, All you have to do is go to the website, click subscribe, share your email address, and you'll begin to be equipped to stand for truth in the public square. Hi, my name is Carrie Pickett, and like many of you, I wear lots of hats. But most of all, I'm a child of God. Ever since I was young, my desire has been to share the unconditional love of God. There is nothing more rewarding to me than people changing their lives and then changing the world. That's why I'm inviting you to join me wherever you are, and let's discover together these foundational truths that will transform your life. All right, everybody, we're back here on the Truth and Liberty live call-in show. I'm Richard Harris, and my guest today is Frank Gaffney. And, you know, we have just started scratching the surface of this whole question of Islamic jihad, terrorism, and the the nation of Israel. And uh, I've got so much more to ask, Frank. But if you want to join in on our conversation, just call the number on your screen, 719-619-2341. Also, I wanted to mention that if you need prayer today, you can call into Andrew's Prayer Center. Uh, That phone number is 719-635-1111. And uh, Andrew has an entire room full of trained, Word of God trained, Spirit-filled prayer ministers that would love to hear from you and uh, and encourage you and pray with you no matter what need you're facing in life. So uh, call that number today. Well, Frank, you uh, actually have a new book out. I just learned. I want to give you a minute to talk about that. I think you said it's called The Indictment. Uh, I'm not sure what the subtext is, but why don't you tell us about your new book? Uh, It is indeed called The Indictment. The subtext is prosecuting the Chinese Communist Party and friends for crimes against America, China, and the world. And it's the product of uh, uh, a wonderful collaborative exercise that uh, I and other members of our Committee on the Present Danger China have engaged in, a series of webinars. Uh, I think at the time we finished the book, it was about 75. I think we're up to about 115 or so now. 
which present incredibly rich and detailed and much needed information about the nature of the Chinese Communist Party, uh, the war that it has been waging against us for decades, the so-called unrestricted warfare, um, the crimes that it has perpetrated against its own people, including horrors like uh, genocide and uh, forced organ harvesting and mm. slave labor and you know, uh, systemic rape and the rest. Um, and what we've tried to do is provide a kind of structure for thinking about the challenge that is posed to us by an outfit, the Chinese Communist Party, or CCP, as it's better known in some circles, um, seek to achieve in order to secure what they think is their rightful place in the world, namely as the governing hegemon. And what that would mean for not only us and our country and our freedoms and our constitutional republic, but you know, for the rest of the world if they were to succeed. So we then offer uh, 20 specific recommendations as to what needs to be done to try to prevent the Chinese from realizing those ambitions uh, to our extreme detriment. Wow, that sounds like... Um... A, uh, an interesting, to say the least, read, and, and uh, I'm going to get myself a copy of that for sure, uh, Frank, and I just want to recommend that to everybody. How can folks get a copy of it? Where is it for sale? Well, it's available, I think, pretty much where books are sold. Uh, Theindictmentbook.com is one way to get it online easily, and Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and others have it as well. Um, but I did want to just mention, I think the reason it came up during the break is uh, my colleague, Dee Dee Logason, lives out in the Springs area. So uh, she helped me put this book together. And uh, I'm very proud to say we're, we're uh, gratified that it has been uh, a national bestseller in the national security and international security category on Amazon. And I think that's because, uh, Richard, there's a, a clear a growing recognition on the part of a lot of Americans that something is profoundly wrong with the Chinese Communist Party and what they've been told about it, that it's, mm. you know, it's just a competitor or uh, it's even a partner for us and that we can safely uh, allow it to provide us with basically everything we need, um, including, you know, vital things like medicines. Um, that supply chain is clearly not reliable and neither is the uh, the party that controls it and so much more um, increasingly uh, technology of various kinds electronics uh, flat screens uh, rare earth minerals um, the uh, the the kinds of uh, products that fill the stores of virtually every major retailer in America and not least that uh, you know we are now encouraged to believe will be a source of supply for our energy security in the future. Because as you know, we're being told we can't have any of that fossil fuel stuff, which we have in abundance here, and which has powered the greatest economy the world has ever known. But instead, we're supposed to get rid of all of that, and we're supposed to become dependent upon China for solar panels and windmills and batteries and electric vehicles and the like, which is, again, 
insane because you cannot rely upon them, especially if their express purpose is actually to destroy our country. And that's well, the case. Well, Frank, I, I mean, I, I think one thing too, that you have pe people that are paying attention, um, I think there's a growing sense that the, the current administration in the United States really has no clue what it's doing uh, when it comes to foreign policy or possibly even worse, uh, might have some sort of ulterior uh, ideological agenda that is intentionally undermining the security and prosperity of the United States. Do you, do you have any thoughts on that? Oh, I do indeed. I've, I've studied it closely, and I've come to the conclusion that as one of our colleagues, member of our Committee on the Present Danger China, a career undercover operative for the Central Intelligence Agency, a man who for two decades or more recruited and ran agents for our country, for our security. His name is Sam Faddis, and he has said on any number of occasions that in his professional judgment, based upon all of that experience, in the lexicon of that trade, Joe Biden, the president of the United States, our chief executive, our commander in chief, would be described as a, quote, controlled asset of the Chinese Communist Party. And the, the evidence of that, the proof, I would argue, but certainly the evidence to support that contention is that I think it's no exaggeration to say that every policy Joe Biden has promulgated since he came to office as president has had two things in common. One, they've been bad for America. And two, I think without exception, they have either directly or indirectly benefited our mortal enemy, the Chinese Communist Party. So I don't think this is a conspiracy theory. Uh, I've been you know, characterized as somebody who subscribes to them. I, I think this is the, a factual conclusion based on the available evidence. And it's, as you say, worse than if we were just dealing with incompetence. Uh, but the point is, you can't have that kind of track record on the basis of incompetence. Even incompetence gets some things right. But uh, I think it takes people who really embrace, and it may not be an ideological thing so much as it's a function of uh, what we, we describe in this book, The Indictment, as the single most insidious of the lines of unrestricted warfare attack against our country in which the Chinese Communist Party has been engaged for decades, namely what they call elite capture. Joe Biden is the poster child of elite capture in our country. And unfortunately, he's not alone. And I think he's done it for the money, for the power, for the opportunity to uh, uh, be a player. Uh, not so much for the ideology, though I think his his ideology is uh, fairly far along in terms of alignment with uh, the Marxists that seem to be driving the policies of his administration. Um, so, so Frank, I uh, to say that he is a captive asset 
Um, I, I got to kind of go there. I can't just let that one lie. But what, uh, besides the, the policies that uh, he has pursued, do we have any other evidence of Chinese control of Joe Biden? Uh, and I would just want to mention, and if you could comment and when you're responding to that, if you could comment on uh, the revelations regarding the, uh, the dealings of Hunter Biden and the money, the tens of millions of dollars that went into the Biden family much of it from Chinese entities under the control of the CCP. So, so my question basically is, what evidence do we have that Biden is actually uh, a controlled asset other than just his policies? Well, you know, that, that aside uh, from that, Mrs. Lincoln and the play kind of <laughs> comes to my mind. How do you like it? Um, setting aside the policies just for the purpose of discussion, though those are I think, prime evidence of what I'm talking about. Um, there are all those transactions. I mean, what the House Republicans have done, not as well and not as quickly and uh, evidently not as persuasively as uh, all of us would have preferred, but still they have brought forth a body of evidence of engagement by the Biden family. Yes, Hunter, but also his uncle, James, Joe's brother, and also other family members, including grandchildren, have been implicated in various deals that have been done between uh, entities of the Chinese Communist Party, like this outfit called CEFC, uh, which is described, I think accurately, as basically an intelligence front of the CCP. Um, it, Hunter Biden's own emails indicate that he understands in dealing with a guy by the name of Patrick Ho, who was one of its leaders uh, until he got arrested and put in prison in this country. But Patrick Ho, among others, were involved with Chinese intelligence for years. And to have the president of the United States, whether he physically took the money himself or whether that money simply went into Hunter's bank account and 50% of that went to the big guy, uh, as he's told his daughter um, or, or sister of one of them, uh, or whether it's uh, the case that there will, on closer inspection, be evidence that Joe Biden personally got the money from the Chinese himself, the big guy, as it were. Uh, you know, this is a matter of forensic investigation, and it's underway as part of this um, impeachment inquiry. But I think what you have to be willfully blind or simply indifferent to the very ominous implications of what I'm saying to think that there's nothing to see here, folks. Yeah. yeah uh, even absolutely. though you're being told that endlessly by the media, <laughs> by the Bidens and uh, other partisans in their camp. Um, so, uh, um, Frank, uh, we actually have some callers on the line here that I want to go to, and uh, hopefully we'll have an opportunity to kind of resume our discussion a little bit. Uh, but I'd like to first go to Sandy, who is on the line. You're a partner with Truth and Liberty. Sandy, thank you so much for your support. Um, uh, what's your question for Frank Gaffney today? 
Actually, I'm hoping you guys can answer three questions because I want to respond to my niece and nephew that are in college and have been brainwashed against Israel, but I have no clue how to answer them. So my fault too, but I'm hoping you guys can help me. Um, one is a Christian. The other one is not. My nephew, who is not a Christian and in college, he says that it's Israel that's at fault because they have been oppressing the Palestinians, keeping them from clean water, food, electricity, and weapons, and that's Israel's fault because Israel has done this to them. How do I respond? And then I'll let you know what my Christian niece says. But um, that's one. I just don't know how to respond regarding um, that. Like, how do you respond to them? Sure. So is Israel oppressing the Palestinians, Frank? You know, I think that one of the heartbreaking aspects of all of this is that uh, Israel put to the test the proposition that if they just surrendered land to the Palestinians, um, they would have peace. They relinquished Gaza in 2005, removed the control that they had had there in the, the Jewish communities and families and synagogues and, you know, um, uh, flower uh, producing greenhouses and the like, only to discover that Hamas came to power and the place became a festering sore of jihad against Israel. So did Israel take defensive measures, which wound up separating it from Gaza? Of course it did. But I would answer your relatives by saying, you would have done the same. But even after they sealed off Gaza, more or less, and allowed some to come and work in Israel, but on a you know, uh, basis of vetting the individuals and trying to monitor what they did and so on, Israel has been providing the power and water to the Gaza Strip, uh, as I understand it, for free for the intervening years. And until this murderous attack against them, uh, that power was on even when the uh, guys in Hamas and Palestinians and Islamic Jihad and others were waging uh, missile and and fire bombs and balloons and the like uh, attacks against Israel. So I, I think this is a matter of the facts. And if you you know, take the trouble to study them a little bit or encourage your uh, your relatives to do the same, I, I think they're going to find that it's not what they're being told. Um, the oppression emanates from people who are absolutely determined to destroy the state of Israel. And that leaves Israel, I think, no choice but to uh, try to protect themselves. Sandy, uh, thank you, Frank, for that. Sandy, stay on the line. I want to do a follow-up question with Frank here, um, and I, but we don't want to lose uh, your other question uh, that you have. So hold on just a minute. Um, Frank, so, you know, the, the liberals, it seems like, and the leftists, they, when it comes to Israel, their first reaction, sort of like our, our Secretary of State Blinken, you know, the first thing he does is, oh, we, we condemn the, uh, the attacks by the terrorists, but we need a ceasefire. Okay, so the first thing he wants is a ceasefire, which will allow the brutality that was committed to go unredressed and leave Israel victimized. But but the liberals seem to always go to this idea of a two-state solution right off the bat. We need a two-state solution. 
Can you comment on what is that idea and uh, why would that never work? Well, you know, the old Albert Einstein line that um, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting to get different results. What people championing the two-state solution would have you ignore is the hard experience that I just described with Gaza. Does anybody really think that if Israel relinquished entirely the strategic high ground, by the way, that would enable Palestinians on that high ground in what's been historically known as Judea and Samaria to rain down all kinds of lethal fire on the Israeli population at sea level, basically, on the coast, that you'd have any outcome different from what is happening from Gaza now, which is um, ceaseless now, volleys of rockets and missiles and the like coming out of, uh, and, and uh, hang gliders and, uh, you know, as I say, these uh, fire balloons and so on. The purpose of which is is simply the destruction on as widespread a basis as they can of the Jewish people. So uh, there's just no reason to think it's going to be a different outcome. And in fact, there's every reason to believe it would be even worse. Because as I say, you not only have a situation where the high ground is in the hands of people who would be able to fire from it, but also the aquifers upon which Israel relies for much of its fresh water. It does some desalinization, but much of the fresh water comes from uh, those um, those hills of Judea and Samaria. And if the Palestinians uh, were to control those areas, that you could bet that they would either cut off the water flowing to Israel or poison it. Mm -hmm. And uh, that would just be that much more uh, deadly a problem for Israel to confront. So I, I think this isn't going to work. And I think we should stop insisting that uh, the Israelis insanely make this mistake again. And and uh, and Frank, like you said, was it was it 2005 when the, the Palestinian Authority was created or somewhere uh, thereabouts? And, and the idea was we're going to give them sort of limited sovereignty over Palestinian territory and they can elect their own leader and all of this sort of thing. And has that worked at all? Has the uh, has that produced peace or has that simply enabled uh these terrorist organizations to become deeply, more deeply rooted and structured? Well, I think you're, you're combining two things. The, the Oslo process, as it was called, was something that was undertaken earlier than 2005 during the uh, Clinton administration. Uh, famously, uh, you know, the uh, Israeli um, uh, prime minister at the time and the Palestinian leader at the time, Yasser Arafat, um, were among those who got the Nobel Peace Prize. Um, has it worked out? No, it hasn't worked out. Um, you've had Yasser Arafat's successor, Mahmoud Abbas, um, become the president for life of the Palestinian Authority is, is a hopelessly corrupt and really quite totalitarian operation. Uh, it um, incessantly incites its people to hate Israel and to seek to wage war against Israel, essentially like 
uh, its counterparts in Gaza do under Hamas's misrule. Um, and, you know, whatever Israel does to try to um, either uh, in, in enable the people in this so-called Palestinian Authority to maintain control or to try to assure control on their own, it is always, uh, I think, uh, undermined by the underlying well, problem we discussed at length at the beginning, namely the jihadist teachings, doctrines, and traditions of uh, Muslims who believe that any land that they ever held will ultimately have to be controlled by them. And the Jews in particular must be driven into the sea, as they endlessly say. So. The problem that I think at some point you simply have to accept is that there is not a solution to a problem of this character, a solution that can be resolved by simply negotiating or making concessions. Uh, it isn't going to work. And you have to find an arrangement that allows um, the people whose uh, international recognized homeland uh, is going to be destroyed if these other actors have their way, um, must be enabled to protect themselves and their homeland against them. All right, well, uh, we've got, so thank you, Frank. We've got five minutes left in this segment. Sandy, that's just about enough time for your second question. What would that be uh, for Frank? Yeah. Um, yeah, how do I respond to my niece, maybe with scriptures? Um, she says that the, the Israel that is there now is no longer the Israel we are to be supporting, that we, the body of Christ, is the new Israel, because Israel is not a Christian nation, therefore we're not to support them. How do I give her scriptures that says, yes, we are, we are to support them? Well, uh, Richard, you're probably better equipped to give the biblical citations on this. I, I would simply say to you that uh, the last time I checked, uh, we as Christians embrace the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. And uh, I, I think uh, there's a passage in there about uh, the Lord blessing those who bless Israel. Yeah, that, that's and those right. Who do not. And I, I just think that uh, there's this is wrong on so many different levels. I, I'm focused principally as a national security guy on the strategic considerations where our vital interests lie as well. But uh, I think there's plenty of biblical teaching that makes it clear that um, we do have a God-directed duty to support his people in Israel. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, and Sandy, that question is a really big one. Um, I can't just give you uh, one verse uh, on that, but I think the main place that you ought to study for that is gonna be Romans chapter 11. Uh, where Paul talks about uh, there, he talks about his, his brothers. Uh, has God cast them off, um, uh, those whom he foreknew? And he says, God forbid. Paul uh, wishes that he himself would be, uh, you know, um, uh, become apostate if it would save his brothers, the Jewish people. Um, but then he goes on to explain that we as Gentile believers in Jesus Christ, remember Jesus is a Jew, okay? First and foremost, all of the apostles were Jews. Um, Romans chapter 1 says that the gospel goes first to the Jews and then to the Greek. 
um, and God has not forgotten nor cast off his people, but it, we are the wild branches that are grafted into the holy, uh, the holy stump or the holy root, if you will. That holy root that Paul is referring to is the covenant of Abraham. And so uh, Abraham, of course, is the uh, perfect, the, or not the perfect, but he is the, the first Jew, if you will, and he becomes Jewish. Uh, because it says in Romans chapter 15 that, or in, in Genesis chapter 15, that he believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. His circumcision came later, right? And this is what the Jews uh, did not realize. The, the, the law came after righteousness. And so righteousness comes by grace through faith. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that we are ethnic Jews, but we are spiritual Jews. But God did have a covenant with Abraham that was both spiritual and physical. And Jesus Christ will return to the earth and he will sit on the throne of David, both a spiritual throne and a physical throne, and will rule the earth from Jerusalem. And so in that, we, by God's grace, will participate in the kingdom of Israel, uh, be brought into that. But he, it says in Romans 11 that God has not cast off the Jewish people and that all Israel will be saved. We don't know how that miracle will happen, but it's prophesied there and it will come to pass. So uh, the duty remains ours to bless Israel. Uh, those who bless Israel will be blessed. Those who curse Israel will be cursed, as Frank was referring to. And so um, the, the people that inhabit the land of Israel today, the Jewish people, uh, are by and large descendants of Abraham, um, and uh, they have tracked their genealogy for millennia. Uh, and so, uh, uh, you know, we can rest assured the restoration of Israel as a nation in 1948 was one of the miraculous fulfillments of Old Testament prophecy that um, no one saw how that could happen either, right? But it did. The rebirth of the Hebrew language, no one saw how that would happen, but it did. Uh, and we can rest assured that the uh, ultimate fulfillment of the prophecies about the Jewish kingdom and Christ sitting on that throne and ruling the earth will also come to pass. And so um, uh, your daughter is believing in something that's called replacement theology. And it's, uh, it goes back a long ways, all the way to the Catholic Church in the Middle Ages, but it's wrong. It's a wrong interpretation of the Bible. So there are places you can go to learn more about that, but that's just sort of a, a, a 30 second or whatever, one minute maybe overview of that, maybe three minute long. Anyway, thank you, Sandy, for calling in. We've got eight, uh, six seconds left in this segment, and we'll be right back uh, after these announcements with Frank Gaffney. So hang on the line, our callers, and if you do have a question, please call, on, call in 719-619-2341. We're going to take a short break here. Andrew has many conferences and seminars around the globe each year. For the latest information on Andrew's complete speaking schedule, visit our website at awmi.net slash events. You were created with a purpose, written in the heart of God. Long before you were born, he is calling you to find it. We want to help you experience his unconditional love to be equipped and empowered to become a world changer. 
Hey, you know, a big part of what we do here at Truth and Liberty is to provide you with the resources that you need in order to stand for truth in the public square. So I want to remind everybody to go to our website and check out our resources page at truthandliberty.net slash resources, where you can find material that discusses just about every issue we're facing today in our culture. And these are things that are prepared by our strategic partners and some of the uh, most influential and important organizations in America today. Hello, everybody. We're back now after the break. I'm Richard Harris. This is the Truth and Liberty Live Call-In Show. And my special guest today is Frank Gaffney, national security expert and author. I want to remind you guys to pick up a copy of Frank's book, The Indictment, uh, wherever where he's uh, talking about um, the China and the agenda of the Chinese uh, Communist Party and how our own government has cooperated with them in uh, what they have called, what is it, Frank, uh, all-out all war or something like that? I can't remember what the phrase Unrestricted warfare is, is what they've previously called it. Uh, starting in May of 2019, though, they began calling it people's war. Oh, wow. Which means a whole of society effort uh, to destroy the United didn't, States. Uh, didn't Hitler use a phrase like that? Seems like. Um, um, there's a lot of similarity between the various strains of totalitarianism, and I, I would suggest that's so of uh, the Muslim strain yeah. of totalitarianism as well as these uh, other ideologies. Yeah, um, well, I want I'd love to talk more about China, but we do have a caller on the line I want to get to. Uh, we've got AJ on the line from Colorado. Uh, AJ, thanks for calling in today. What's your question for Frank Gaffney? Uh, yes, Frank, um, can you uh, maybe tell me, how did Mossad not anticipate this attack from Hamas? It's a great question, and I don't know that uh, there is a good answer for it at the moment. Uh, we're assured that there's going to be a lot of, uh, uh, you know, after-action assessments done and investigations and formal inquiries and the like, so we may know more later. Um, a couple of things seem to be operating, though, for what it's worth. Um, one is I think that there has been um, a decline, frankly, in the quality of uh, intelligence agencies, both in Israel and here, for that matter. Uh, our CIA and uh, other intelligence agencies apparently missed uh, the evidence that something was afoot in Israel's border uh, with Gaza until suddenly it was ruptured and then, you know, the invasion was on. Uh, the tactical question of why didn't that border security system give them warning that it was underway even. And apparently uh, there is growing evidence that um, it was essentially neutralized, that border system of sensors and uh, cameras and other things, uh, by a cyber warfare attack of such sophistication that it seems to experts I've talked to uh, clearly not to have come from Hamas uh, or even from Iran, uh, but almost certainly from the world's superpowers when it comes to cyber warfare, and that would be Russia or uh, its no limits partner, as they call it, uh, communist China. 
Um, so the combination of, um, I think, uh, being less uh, engaged in the day-to-day -day monitoring of uh, the threat inside of uh, Hamas-Stan, as I call it, Gaza, um, uh, including apparently overlooking some uh, well, what would appear now to be sort of dress rehearsals, albeit on a small scale, of uh, attacks involving these hang gliders and the like. Um, on the one hand, and uh, you know, some uh, surpassingly formidable cyber capabilities being brought to bear to uh, take down not only the sensors and, and cameras and so on, but also apparently the communications on which the Israeli rapid response forces relied um, kept things in a muddle for hours during which time a lot of this carnage was inflicted. Well, that's pretty significant, Frank. How come we haven't heard it? Now, it could be my own ignorance and the fact that I don't spend enough time reading the headlines, but how come I haven't heard anything about that in the news of a cyber attack or even the uh, disabling of their security systems on the border there? Well, it may not be in the headlines. I think there's been some reporting on it uh, leaking out. Um, but again, it's early days. And I think, frankly, people are focused rather more on uh, the response to what's mm -hmm. happened rather than the investigations of why it uh, came about the way it did. Uh, I think we'll be learning more about it. But but let me just say, if I may, as a, as a related point, um, what about our intelligence capabilities? Yes. Why right. didn't they sense anything that's going on here? And I have got some, again, partial uh, responses to it. I'm not sure that we know the full answer there either. I, I will say, I think that Joe Biden's administration uh, was deeply hostile to the state of Israel from the get-go. And I think partly uh, the reason we're in the fix we're in today, or specifically Israel is in the fix it's in, is because the administration had just relentlessly signaled to the terrorists in Hamas and the jihadists elsewhere, uh, both in Lebanon, Syria and the West Bank, as it's called, Judea and Samaria, uh, and even in Israel proper, that the deep and committed relationship between the United States and Israel was very sorely strained. There were all kinds of domestic difficulties with this uh, leftist attack on the government of Israel over judicial reform initiatives. Uh, the U.S. government was pouring money into Iran. We've heard about the $6 billion that they gave them recently for hostages, uh, ransom. Uh, but beyond that, uh, by some estimates, there's been 30 to $40 billion worth of oil sales that had previously been sanctioned. And that's just in the past year. Um, on top of it, money had begun flowing again, hundreds of millions of dollars to the Palestinian Authority on the one hand, and through a UN agency called UNRWA, the UN Relief and Work Agency, directly to the Hamas regime. 
in Gaza. And so I think the bottom line is that I think the U.S. government wasn't interested in monitoring what the Palestinians were up to in a way that would have given the kind of early warning that was needed. And even if it were, get this, the guy who is the senior director on the Biden National Security Council, responsible for intelligence, which means in this case being basically the liaison with the intelligence community, the, the, the filter for information coming from the intelligence community and the source of tasking to the intelligence community, is a Palestinian associate of the Muslim Brotherhood and a guy who formerly worked at that UN agency that is deeply enmeshed with Hamas, UNRWA. I mean, what could possibly go wrong with that kind of arrangement? Yeah, so so I want to make sure everybody heard that. The director of intelligence for the National Security Agency is a Palestinian council. council. National Security, council, National in Security council in the White House is a Palestinian Muslim. Correct. Who's tied to the Muslim Brotherhood. Here, Bitar, he's been a radical leftist tied to the Muslim Brotherhood, whose franchise Hamas is, by the way, in the Palestinian community, and who's sitting atop and has access to and is managing the flow of intelligence to the president. Well, that says it all right there, stuff I think. Up, No, you can't. Um, uh, Frank, I'd like to take a few minutes in the time we have left in today's show. First, let me remind people, if you have a question or you want to join our conversation to call in, we still have about 20 minutes left in the show. My guest today is Frank Gaffney, national security expert and uh, uh, author, a best-selling author. And we're talking today about Israel, but I want to shift gears here a little bit uh, and talk about the United States. Um, I want to say it's a virtually open border uh, on the south, uh, you know, our southern front here in the United States. There was a news article that came out, uh, yeah, uh, I think it was yesterday, I saw it on Fox News, and the, the headline of the article with it was that said that thousands of special interest aliens uh, have been documented and encountered by Border Patrol at the southern border. I thought, what is that, special interest aliens? So I read this article, and it basically a special interest alien, and I'm quoting now, are people from countries identified by the U.S. government as having conditions that promote or protect terrorism or potentially pose some sort of national security threat to the United States. And these people, the numbers are staggering to me, Frank. The article said that there were, um, in the last two years alone, that agents encountered 6,386 Afghanis, 3,153 Egyptians, 659 Iranians, over 500 Syrians, and then we have 13,600 Uzbekistan uh, citizens, 30,000 Turkish people, and on and on the numbers go. We're talking about massive numbers of people from regions of the world that have, uh, you know, terrorist uh, cells and operations. And these people, according to this article, these aren't people that are trying to come into the United States lawfully. These are people that are crossing between um, ports of entry and happen to be, be interdicted by the Border Patrol. So. Uh, I don't know about you, but that alarms me. Uh, I knew the situation was bad, but my goodness, 
what are we dealing with here? Is this an intentional invasion uh, by terrorists in the United States? Well, let me just address the larger point. Um, this should terrify all of us. There is no border at the moment along the southern part of the United States. It has effectively been dismantled. Uh, people are coming across it by the millions. The latest numbers I've seen are between eight and 10 that we know of. And then there's some additional number that are what are called gotaways that are people who make it their business to avoid being uh, in a position to interact with Border Patrol uh, and, and get some kind of uh, minimal, well, welcome, basically, into the United States, uh, sort of pro forma uh, processing. And when you talk about the numbers of people of special interest, of course, uh, a prominent group, uh, though I think they're not reflected in those numbers, are military-aged, unaccompanied young men from China who are described by observers on the scene to look and act like People's Liberation Army Special Forces units. And I've heard numbers as low as 10,000 and high as several multitudes of those, multiples of those, who have come into the United States and simply been sent wherever they wish to go across the country. So whether it's the jihadis amongst the 8 to 10 million or whether it's the Chinese People's Liberation Army elements within that larger population, and how many more beyond the ones that we think we know of, uh, you know, I hear tales that uh, there have been 150 who have been actually apprehended who are on the terrorism watch list. Well, that is surely a trivial fraction of the number that have managed to get in unencumbered. Um, and so to the bottom line here, uh, ladies and gentlemen, the reality is the prospect that we are looking at a Gaza situation inside the United States at any moment is real and increasingly perilous. And uh, I just want to say, I, I think of all of those policies that I mentioned earlier that uh, have those two qualities in common. They're bad for us and they're good for the Chinese Communist Party and other enemies in this case of this country. Um, the deliberate dismantling of the southern border of the United States by the Biden administration is going to go down in history, I suspect, as one of the most horrific, unforced mistakes and treacherous acts in our nation's entire history. Well, uh, Frank, so this is, this is uh, po possibly the most serious thing we've talked about today. And if I hear what you're saying, that it's, it's um, uh, a certainty that there are thousands of Muslim jihadis in the United States who are probably 
preparing and poised to carry out terrorist acts here. Um, am I overstating that or is that a fair assessment uh, of the situation? Well, it's not a fair assessment of the situation because it doesn't take into account some of the other things that have also gone on. Joe Biden's administration brought between 70 and 100,000 mostly military-aged, unaccompanied males from Afghanistan into the country via the front door. They brought them in as refugees. They set them up on initially on military bases across this country and now have allowed them to migrate elsewhere around the, the nation as they choose. Those are Taliban, many of them, or other jihadis. And then on top of all of that, Richard, uh, one of the things that I've been worrying about for a long time and have done a lot of work on over the years is the infrastructure that the Muslim Brotherhood, uh, now sponsored by Turkey, a so-called ally, despite that persecution of Christians, among many other things that they've been doing, it's reprehensible. Um, but you also have, uh, you know, uh, Qatar, and then Iran is supporting uh, similar kinds of uh, operations, uh, Hezbollah mostly, sleeper cells and the like. So these migrants who've come over the border recently, thanks to Joe Biden, are able to marry up with mosques and uh, Islamic uh, uh, centers and other groups uh, who, if the tradition of Muhammad applies. We talked about the importance of the perfect man's example and so on. Well, mosques in Muhammad's days were arsenals, as well as community centers, as well as houses of worship. Uh, they served all of that, in, in fact, fortresses in some cases. And a lot of mosques around the United States, um, interestingly enough, partly through financing from the taxpayer because of concerns that they might be, you know, attacked by anti-Muslim elements, have become fortresses in our time. And I think there's every reason to believe there are weapons stored in those mosques. So the point being that the problem you've put your finger on, Richard, and you're absolutely right to call attention to it, it is very serious. It is probably beyond our comprehension. If you think that essentially nobody in that population of eight to maybe 10 million people, to say nothing of the Godaways, has been screened, has been actually identified. Why are they here? Where did they come from? What specifically were they doing where they came from? And what is their mission? Mm. But when you add on top of it that infrastructure and the large number of Taliban that were deliberately brought in, post-Afghanistan, this is a witch's brew and a formula for, I fear, disaster. Um, and, and you know, Frank, our, our military in the United States is, by law, is designed only for, uh, to repel foreign invasion or, or to engage in overseas. It's not designed for policing or domestic intelligence work and that sort of thing. If a 
if something happened like what has happened in Israel, where without notice, all of a sudden sleeper cells all over America rise up and begin murdering people in their houses and in their streets and everything else, raping, beheading babies, whatever the case may be, I'm concerned that we don't have the domestic apparatus to actually quickly suppress something like that. Is that a concern of yours? Now, I'm not advocating that we turn ourselves into some kind of police state, but we're not prepared for something like that, are we? I don't think we are. I mean, what I've just described to you in terms of our situational awareness alone yeah. suggests that we're not prepared for it. Uh, you're absolutely right. Our military operates under what are known as posse comitatus laws, which essentially preclude them from having law enforcement functions. National Guard elements can be given those functions uh, to some extent. Um, and in time of, you know, uh, declared uh, state of emergency, you know, uh, uh, the, the, the military can, I think, be uh, put into this kind of uh, role of uh, locking things down. Uh, but that's that's not America, that's for sure. And I have to tell you, I'm not a little worried that if these guys go to any length at all to obscure who is doing the kind of mayhem that you're talking about, Richard, and, and in addition to mass murder and, and assassinations and the like. You could have attacks on our infrastructure, our grid and what have you. Uh, if, if the effort is made to make it look as though patriotic Americans, uh, MAGA uh, people, for example, maybe even a few in our audience are guilty of engaging in this kind of activity, it could become the pretext for you know, a militarily backed crackdown on uh, patriotic Americans. So there are a lot of horribles here. And, and if I could just say one word, because we've mostly been providing a lot of uh, frightening information here, I think probably news to uh, even an informed audience like yours. And I just would like to say one of the reasons that I wanted very much to have a chance to talk with you all was not simply to share some of this bad news, because you have a need to know but also to just emphasize uh, a point that I know is central to all of our lives. And that is, this is a time when we need God's grace. Mm, yeah. We need his help, uh, a most urgent response to all of what we've just talked about is prayer, repentance, um, and uh, requests for his intervention. And. Uh, if that is forthcoming, I know we will get through all this because with God's help, everything is possible, of course. Um, I, yeah, I, I, some I, days I appreciate that. that some reason not to engage in that kind of uh, redemption, but I'm praying that he still will. And I, I, I believe 100 percent in that. Yeah. And, and I, uh, but we also um, as Christians uh, uh, and, and patriotic Americans everywhere, um, this just calls to need, uh, the, uh, it, it just seems to highlight the desperately important act of getting involved in government and voting and taking back our country from those who, I'm just going to say uh, kindly, are, are deceived, who don't think straight, right? Um, and and put, in, put in office people that are going to put the security of the American people first and, uh, and the interest of the United States first. And, um, you know, folks, we've just got to get involved. And there's no 
there's no easy way to do that. There's no shortcut to it. But um, our nation is on the line. Uh, the ex very existence, continued existence of the United States of America is on the line. China now has, correct me, Frank, here if I'm wrong, but their navy is larger than the United States. They have the largest navy in the world, obviously the largest army in the world. But they have highly sophisticated weaponry now. And I, I don't know, you tell me, is the United States even capable of resisting China militarily uh, in an, in an all-out uh, engagement? Um, uh, you know, or are we, the, are we the underdog now? I think in important respects, we are the underdog. As you mentioned, just uh, quantitatively, uh, our position is inferior to theirs. Uh, especially if the conflict is uh, likely to take place far removed from us and close to them. Um, but in addition, what's been particularly troubling to me are revelations of late about the successes the Chinese communists have had in uh, using private sector entities in the United States. I'm thinking specifically of a company called Sequoia Capital and a Chinese national by the name of Neil Shen, who has been running their uh, part of their operations for a long time, as a means of hoovering up our best, most promising technologies and making them available to the Chinese communists. So the qualitative edge that we have relied upon to offset our quantitative inferiority um, is no longer a given. So the, the numbers of ships in the Chinese Navy not only exceeds ours now, especially when you realize that approximately half the ships that we have, and by the way, a good chunk of them are always in port or in shipyards at the time, but the half of the total fleet we have is assigned to the other part of the world. So the numbers uh, of uh, the Chinese Navy relative to the part of the U.S. Navy that is in the Western Pacific, for example, is uh, is very much advantageous to the Chinese. But the point is this, you know, they have been seriously pursuing unrestricted warfare against us with a view to preparing for the old-fashioned kind, the shooting kind. And one of the reasons we've written this book, The Indictment, is to try to raise awareness on the part of the American people of the cumulative effects of all of those efforts over such a long time. And the fact that we're now um, in real jeopardy, that to answer your question very directly, I am concerned that uh, the Chinese feel they can take our military. And that's especially the case because one of the things that's been going on, as I'm sure you know, uh, but not enough of us are fully cognizant of, is that we've been allowing cultural Marxists mm -hmm. to try to indoctrinate and brainwash, I think was a term you used earlier, our military personnel to, to get them to think of themselves as, uh, if they're white, as, you know, white supremacists and racist and oppressors. And if they're blacks or other colors, that they are inherently, you know, uh, oppressed people. And uh, the whole diversity, equity, inclusion agenda, the LGBTQ plus 
uh, program, the transgender accommodations, the climate change is the greatest threat to national security. All of this Nonsense. is corrosive of the good order and discipline and the focus on military readiness to do the one thing the military is supposed to do, which is to protect our country, uh, to deter our adversaries, if possible, and to defeat them, if not. And all of this other stuff is, I'm afraid, further increasing the Chinese sense, uh, and I think it's not confined to them, by the way, that the U.S. military is simply not the formidable foe that it has been in the past, and therefore it's game on mm. for their aggressive ambition. So, so Frank, I'm not sure this was clearly articulated yet in the show, and we have uh, really two minutes left in the broadcast. So if you can just take a minute and, and tell me, uh, do you believe that China is ultimately behind the attack from Hamas and now Hezbollah on the state of Israel? And where is this headed uh, as far as an international um, uh, you know, a, a expanding on other other international fronts, but really mainly is China behind this? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked the question because it's really important for us to be clear about this. Uh, the Chinese Communist Party, despite everything I've said about their power and their, you know, uh, successes and ambitions, uh, is in trouble. Mm -hmm. uh, that's good news for us, but it's also bad news because Typically, totalitarians, when they're in trouble, try to conjure up some external threat or boogeyman to justify their repression at home and to direct everybody's energy towards not the party, not their leadership, but to some foreign foe. So I believe the Chinese Communist Party is undertaking World War III at the moment. I think the first front they opened up with the help of their proxy, Vladimir Putin, was Ukraine. I think the second front is now the Middle East with their proxy, Iran, uh, working through its proxies. Uh, Hamas initially has blown out as well. I think there are other fronts that are almost certainly going to be opened up, maybe before they go after Taiwan or our interests or us even in the Pacific, and not least the possibility of the home front coming under assault as well. We need God's help. We need your help. And yeah, I think so. with all of that, we can turn this around, but the hour is late. So thank, thank you. For thank you, Frank. I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off. We have 20 seconds left, so I, I've got to wrap this up. Um, thank you for coming on the show uh, for this incredibly sobering assessment. And folks, I just want you to commit yourselves to prayer and action wherever you can get involved uh, to make a difference. It's now is the time to do it. And let's pray for our beloved country. Thank you, Frank, for joining us. God bless you and all of you for watching today. Be sure to tune in tomorrow to the Truth and Liberty Live Call-In Show. Thank you for joining today's Truth and Liberty Livecast. You can watch today's and past livecasts in our archives at truthandliberty.net. Our goal is to educate Christians and connect them with resources and organizations to help them impact their sphere of influence. You can help us accomplish this by making a donation at truthandliberty.net slash donate. Join us next time for more Truth and Liberty.